My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and it's good to be with you this Sunday. I was gone last Sunday. I had to miss being in person for the revival weekend. I'll talk more about where I was in a moment. But we are continuing in the spirit of revival this month as we talk about really the, the, the visions and values we have as a congregation, as a church called Lover's Lane. Last week, we focused on our value of worship. We value worship, inspiring worship, heart-moving worship, soul-stirring worship, and we had a whole weekend full of it, full of it. and if you were here, uh, you got to experience that. I got to watch the live stream. The music was phenomenal. The teaching was inspiring for me personally, um, and, and hopefully you got to join us in that. If you weren't able to be here, though, we do have them online. I encourage you to go back and watch. It was special. This week, we're going to talk about our value of engage. We value being a church that engages engages with God, but also engages with our neighbors and with our communities and with our world. So we're going to talk about what, what that means for us, how it is that we feel called to engage with our communities and with our neighbors and with our world and what that looks like for us as a people called Lover's Lane. And so to help us with that this morning, we're going to look at a scripture that comes to us from the Gospel of John beginning in chapter 5. Uh, verses 1 through 18. Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. We're going to stop halfway through to talk about it. Uh, to, just to set the stage, this is uh, a scene where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and there's this festival going on. There's lots of people gathered. We're not sure what the festival is, um, but we'll, what we do know, what we learn about is that there's this man who's gathered amongst a whole group of those who are sick or lame or in need, and, and there's this pool that they're gathered near, and there was this, um, this pool was special because it was believed that every once in a while, an angel would stir the waters of the pool, and the first person to step into the pool or to make their way to the pool to touch the waters of the pool would experience whatever healing it is that they needed, and that's where Jesus is going to do something that changes the way people understand their faith and what it means to engage with the world around them. So let's pray for our scripture this morning before we begin reading uh, so we can invite the Holy Spirit to breathe life into this text for us again this morning. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this sanctuary, for this safe place to come, to breathe, to allow heaviness to rise off of our shoulders, to find comfort and strength in you. God, this has been a difficult week for all of us. For so many reasons. God, we need a new thing. So God, as we prepare to talk about a new thing again this week and what it means to engage in a new thing, God, we trust you to lead us to places we cannot see, but to holiness and health that we desperately need. Allow this text to leap off of the screens and off the pages of our Bibles and into our hearts that it might change the way that we live. In your sons and we pray, amen. Okay, so we pick up in verse one. It says this, after this, there was a Jewish festival and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate in the North City Wall is a pool with the Aramaic name Bethsaida. It had five covered porches and a crowd of people who were sick, blind, and lame, and paralyzed sat there. 
a, a certain man who that a certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he had already been there a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I don't have anyone who can put me in the water when it is stirred up. When I'm trying to get to it, someone else has already gotten in ahead of me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Immediately, the man was well, and he picked up his mat and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, you aren't allowed to carry your mat. Let's stop there. Yeah, right? That's why we're stopping there for a moment. So I want to talk a bit about where I was uh, last weekend, uh, Saturday through Wednesday. I was in a, a town in Ohio called Tip City, Ohio, from Tippecanoe and Tyler, too. That's their little thing, the Tippecanoe, Tip City, Ohio. I was there visiting a church called Ginghamsburg Church. It's a Methodist church out in Tip City, and I was there learning from three key leaders who are a part of that church. Mike Slaughter, who is, for all intents and purposes, the re-founding pastor of that church, he was sent to this little tiny 90-person church in Ginghamsburg, Ohio in the late 70s, and over the course of 40 years grew it into one of the largest and most influential, not just Methodist churches, but churches in America. Mike Slaughter has been named uh, one of the top you know, 10 most important faith leaders by different magazines and whatnot, um, all started by this little 90-person country church in Ginghamsburg, and then he was joined by two other key leaders, Karen Perry Smith, his executive uh, director, his right-hand woman, and then Rachel Billups, who is now the senior pastor of Ginghamsburg Church, 37-year-old young clergywoman, the senior pastor of one of the most influential churches in Methodism and in the country. Woohoo! Awesome, awesome. Um, and these three leaders spent five days pouring into about 35 of us who were there to learn about new ways of engaging in ministry. Um, this is a church, Gingosburg, that is known for their ability to engage with their community and their world and with their neighbors. That's really their hallmark. And they're also well known uh, for Mike's just dogged, laser-like focus on making disciples. He is sold out to making disciples for Jesus Christ. And, and you know, Mike is one of those leaders that just sounds like a quote machine, you know those people that talk in like every other sentence, you're like, that's, that's the catchiest thing I've ever heard in my life. He just talks in just these little, these little pithy quotes all the time, and I couldn't write down enough, and you're going to get a lot of those probably in my sermons this next year. I am happy to steal, right? I'm not that smart. So um, one of the things that he said over and over and over, and it just like, it cut to the core of me, is he said, I got to this church in the late 70s, and I looked at my congregation, and I said, we don't have time to play church. We don't have time to play church. And this is one of his mantras that he has said for over 40 years. We don't have time to play church. Now, what does he mean by that? We don't have time to play church. I think it has everything to do with the way these Jewish leaders, these Pharisees and Sadducees, respond to the miracle of healing that Jesus brings to this man in Bethsaida. How do they respond? They don't look at him and say, wow. You carried your mat. You're healed. After 38 years, you're finally walking. How incredible is that? What do they say? What are you doing carrying your mat? It's the Sabbath. Not supposed to do that. Right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees are really good at playing church. 
playing church is doing the things that we've always done, doing what we think we're supposed to do. It's being the good religious type of people that go to church and say the right words and sing the right songs, but we're really more interested in just playing church than actually living out an abundant faith. Have you ever been guilty of playing church? My, my. So many times in my life am I guilty of playing church. I think pastors can be the most guilty of it of all. Have you ever been guilty of playing church? See, ultimately, I think what the Pharisees like about playing church, what they like about just pretending to have this religious faith is that ultimately it doesn't challenge the way things are. And remember, they're in charge. So they like things the way things are. They like the systems they have in place. They like the routines they have in place. They like playing church because it allows them to just continue to do things the way they've always been done, and that feels like it's working out pretty well for them. I think we like playing church a lot of times because we don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be grown. We don't want to be told to expect something new. We don't want to have to engage a new thing because that might be too hard. You with me, church? As important as worship, and the next week we're going to talk about learning a new thing, as important as worship and learning are, I value those things immensely. If we don't learn how to get outside of ourselves and get outside of these walls and engage our neighbors and our community and our world, if we are not interested in engaging a new thing, not just playing church, but doing something in a new way and allowing ourselves to be challenged and grown, we will never experience the kind of faith that Jesus desires for us. And we'll see someone get healed and walk out, not even touching the waters of the pool, and our answer will be, why are you carrying your mat? And it's funny, but it's not. That's a tragic response to witnessing the miracle of healing. And how many times have I been guilty of seeing something happen in a way I didn't understand or expect, and my response is, why are you carrying your mat? That's not the way things work. That's not how this is supposed to go. That's not the way things have always been done. Y'all, this sick man had been carrying, had been playing church. This sick man had been playing church for 38 years and had done nothing for him. This is why I don't think it's that funny. He had been playing church for 38 years. It had done nothing for him. When we play church, it's not as simple as just laughing at saying, why are you carrying your mount? When we play church, suffering continues in our neighbors and our communities and our world because we're the ones that are supposed to step up and we're not doing it. Playing church had done nothing for this man for 38 years. Playing church is doing nothing for those who are suffering in our world, in our communities, in our neighborhoods. It is time to stop playing church. Can I get a whole church amen? amen. Thank you. I got a couple friends right now that are helping me out, but I need the whole crew right now. I've been gone listening to Mike Slaughter. I'm ready to preach this morning. I don't know if y'all picked up on that. <laughs> so we keep moving. And they inquired, or hear it before he, I, I, I missed one verse. They, so the Pharisees, they answer, or no, the, the man, the sick man who was made well, he answers. He said, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. They inquired, who is this man who said to you, pick it up and walk? They're trying to figure out who this troublemaker is that's getting people to stop playing church. The man who'd been cured didn't know who he was because Jesus had slipped away from the crowd gathered there. Jesus was really good at that. He was like, for my next trick, you know. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said, see, you've been made well. 
Don't sin anymore in case something worse happens to you. Let's just pause real tiny little sermon out here. Don't go too far down this rabbit trail. Jesus is not saying the man's sin made him sick in the first place. It's bad theology. There are plenty of places where Jesus teaches against that. Just trust me on that for this morning because I don't have time to do a whole sermon on that. We good? Your sin does not make you sick or, 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 or punished by God. Amen? Amen. Okay. We're just that's, that's the like 30-second version. The man went and proclaimed to the Jewish leaders that Jesus was the man who had made him well. As a result, the Jewish leaders were harassing Jesus since he had done these things on the Sabbath. Again, Jesus didn't play in church, and they don't like that. Not supposed to do work on the Sabbath, not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, not supposed to carry mats on the Sabbath. Jesus replied, my father is still working, and I'm working too. Oh, For this reason, the Jewish leaders wanted even more to kill him, not only because he was doing away with the Sabbath, but was he really? But also because he called God his own father, thereby making himself equal with God. Now he has poked the bear, right? So this one really ticks off the Pharisees. That's where we're going to stop today. This, this part really ticks off the Pharisees. This Jesus guy isn't just claiming to be a faith healer. There are plenty of people who uh, were claiming to be and even were miraculously healing people uh, throughout history. They were used to that. But now he is claiming to be equal with God. That's a big deal. That's something that they can't stand for. And I find it interesting that this is the first time in the Gospel of John when Jesus reveals this part of his identity to the Pharisees as a group. He had done this with one Pharisee named Nicodemus earlier, but this is the first time he had done this in a group setting where he had revealed, you know, I am the Son of God, and he's, and he's talking about God as his own Father, making himself equal to God, and he does it in the context of a healing story, a healing story on the Sabbath. I don't want us to miss this, that these two things are connected, that Jesus' revelation about who he is and healing on the Sabbath. It tells me two things about Jesus, and it tells me two things about God, right? Because Jesus is God. It tells me these two things. One, we serve a God who wants salvation for all people. God is not happy with one person once in a while touching some waters that may have been stirred by angels' wings and maybe getting healed, and 38 years later, a lot of people not. Jesus wants salvation and healing for all people. God wants salvation and healing for all people. And number two, what it tells me is that God is more than happy to break some rules to get there. Right? God is not interested in following the rule book that we set. God is more than happy to break some rules to get there. See, here's the problem, I think. We take faith and we turn it into religion. And I'm not saying that all religion is bad. Some people get a lot of good out of religious practices. Uh, One of the most important things for my spiritual life for the last five years has been being involved in the Renew Communion Service on Wednesday evenings. It is ritual. It is old school. It's so old school, I tried to change it. And then I had to be taught by some old school believers that, Scott, maybe this is exactly what you need in your life. And it was learning how to still, learning how to repeat, learning how to do ritual. That stuff can be good and healing for a lot of people. I'm not saying all religion is bad. I'm saying we turn faith into religion, though, because I think that some of us really want to have control. And faith demands that we give up control, and religion allows us to gain some of that control back. And I'm saying that religion can sometimes and frequently be corrupted into something that God never desired. We turn it into something that God never wanted. We can be guilty of looking to religion as a set of rules that we ought to follow as individuals that we think are going to save us if we're strict enough. 
Have you ever convinced yourself that your faith is about, I've been there, guys, I've been there too many times, where your faith is about checking off enough boxes, following enough rules because you live in fear of a vengeful God? That is not the faith the Bible professes. That's not the faith that Jesus is there to share. God asks us to follow Jesus into a life of not only seeing the sick laying by stagnant pools, seeing the sick that religion overworks, but to then be the healing hands our neighbors and our community and our world requires, to see the sick that our religion overlooks and to be the healing hands that our neighbors and our community and our world requires. And a trust that we may have to break some rules along the way. So church, we need to ask ourselves this morning, are we looking for salvation through religious practice or following Jesus? Are we looking for salvation through religious practice or following Jesus? Because let me tell you, coming in here and sitting down and listening to me blabber on ain't enough. I'm a pretty good preacher, and our worship band's a lot better than me. But this is not it. This is the starting point, not the finish line, right? Do we think that we're here to gain salvation through religious practice or through following Jesus? Because let me tell you something. You can practice religion all your life long and never know Jesus but you cannot follow Jesus and refuse to serve your neighbor. I'm gonna say that one more time for the folks in the back. Thank you, Dee. You can practice religion all life long and never know Jesus, but you cannot follow Jesus and refuse to serve your neighbor. God is good all the time. So as we begin this school year again, I want us to consider what kind of church we want to be here at Lover's Lane, and I want us to specifically think about what kind of community we want to be here and thrive. Because one thing I feel God is calling us to is a rule-breaking, less rigid, freeing up of our members for ministry. Now see, this is one thing that, that, that I walked away from Gingensburg noting. Mike Slaughter doesn't have a clue what his church is doing. Now, that sounds bad at first, right? Mike Slaughter doesn't have a clue. We would show up to these different ministries happening, and he'd walk up and go, so, so what are y'all doing here? How many folks you got involved? This is really cool. I hadn't seen this before. You know, they have their church so sold out to disciple-making and so freed up to be about ministry, there were so many things happening that even the church leaders had no clue their members were about because they weren't going to some committee asking for permission. They weren't making sure that it passed by a two-thirds vote margin at leadership council, right? They weren't waiting for a staff member to set up a ministry. Their members were equipped and empowered to get out and be the church without permission, right? So while I think it's mission critical that we have core missional initiatives as a whole church body, I think it's important that we pour into Zoge Hospital and to feed my starving children. I think it's important that we uh, have partnerships with Nathan Adams Elementary. I, the list could go on. I think these partnerships as a church are critically important to who we are. But I also know that God is calling us to engage in a greater way. I sense that this year. And I think it comes back to our individual callings that God has for us. Because here's the deal. I may not have the same calling to ministry that you do, and praise be to God for that, because the body of Christ needs a whole lot of parts, right? Here's a quote by Frederick Buechner, one of my favorite um, theologians, and he says this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. 
Now that's really good. The place that God is calling you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. So I want to talk about somebody that maybe you've never learned about before, but I think he's interesting this week. James Blundell. I think we got his picture on the screen. James Blundell. There's James Blundell. That's a pretty good look, James. He holds up pretty well. He was born in 1790 in London. He was born in London. Get this. His dad's name, his father's name was Major Blundell. And Major Blundell owned a company called Major Blundell and Company Haberdashers and Drapers. Is that not the most British name for a company in the world? Major Blundell's uh, Company Haberdashers and Drapers in London. Sorry, I just thought that was hilariously British. Uh, He was this English doctor. He was an English doctor, and his claim to fame, the reason we have his picture on Wikipedia in 2019, is because he performed the first successful blood transfusion. He had a patient, he, he, he worked in obstetrics and gynecology, he had a, a patient, he, discussed, he, he saw that so many of the women who were giving birth were dying from hemorrhaging. So when he had a patient hemorrhaging, he actually just stuck a syringe in her husband's arm, pulled some blood out and gave it to her and saw what happened, right? It was the 1800s. There wasn't as many, you know, rules in place for testing new medical practices, right? But it worked. <laughs> it worked, He did it 10 more times, and it worked half the time. But it worked. It worked. And it opened up a totally new way of healing that people didn't see as possible before. He just tried it. Don't read too far into this. It's like human experimentation and stuff. He, he saw that there was a way things had always been done, that, that, that women were dying in childbirth, and then he tried something new, and it brought about healing. I've been thinking about him this week, and I've been thinking about blood transfusions this week in the aftermath of the shootings of, in El Paso and in Dayton. You know, Tip City is about 10 minutes up the road from Dayton, Ohio. Um, so I got to, I was in worship that Sunday morning um, after the news had broken. You know, I get asked a lot as a pastor about where God is in tragedies like El Paso and Dayton. There's a lot of bad theology out there, a lot of bad theology. And what I want to say is that I know that God was not behind either shooting. The God that I serve does not create tragedy as part of some great grand plan. But while I don't believe that God is the one who leads us to tragedy, I do believe that God leads us through tragedy. There's a difference. We serve a God who does not admit defeat to a cross, but claims victory through resurrection. Yeah? And so while I was feeling defeated on Saturday afternoon, watching reports of the shooting in El Paso, and my heart was breaking into a million pieces, I saw an image that reminded me of Dr. James Blundell and of the resurrection life God calls us into. Here's another image for us. That's the lines out the door beyond the tents at a blood donation place in El Paso. This is the way that the people of El Paso responded to this tragedy. I see this image and I see resurrection. I see hope. I see a people who refuse to allow hatred and death to have the final word, who see a need and their heart beats and they leap into action. The people of El Paso, a city of great strength and faith, showed up in the face of this tragedy and they met the needs of the moment by offering themselves. 
They needed everyone because we know now that every blood type has specific needs and every blood type has something specific to give, yeah? And so church, it's not enough for us to see this image and to feel proud for the people of El Paso and the way that they responded. The question that we have to ask ourselves and that I'm gonna ask you this morning is what's your blood type? What's your blood type? How is God calling your heart to meet the needs of the world? Because God is going to call you different than God's going to call me. And God's going to call the person sitting next to you different than God's going to call you. This isn't something that we need to leap into action about right this moment. We need to pray about this because sometimes this takes some soul searching. We need to examine the passions and gifts that God has given us. Listen, we got people who are highly skilled in this room. And don't confuse yourself. The skills that you possess can be put to work for the kingdom. The world needs your skills. If you're really good at taxes, do taxes for the Lord. Do them for people with low incomes that can't afford a good tax person. If you're a doctor, put that work to use for the Lord. Go out and heal people. If you love kids, put that to use in our kids' ministry. Lord knows they need you, man. This is not something, though, that we have to wait for permission on. You don't need to sit there and go, okay, well, I'm going to pray about this, and then then I'm going to ask Pastor Scott if it's okay. Listen, if God gives you a calling on your life, you go and do it, and let me know how it's going. I pray to God one day I can be a pastor like Mike Slaughter, and I'm walking around my church going, I have no clue what these people are doing. This is fantastic. This is fantastic. Your job is not to get permission from your church Your job is not to play church. Our job as the church is to empower you as a member of Christ's body to serve as Christ's hands and feet as God leads you. So what's your blood type, church? What's your blood type? Who can God heal? Whose life can God transform through your faithful service and love? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks this day. God, I give you thanks for the people of El Paso and the people of Dayton, Ohio, who in the face of heart-wrenching tragedy and evil offered themselves in maybe the most human way possible to offer their blood for the sake of another. God, we know that our work doesn't stop there. We know there's more than one way to respond to something like this. God, for too long, we have allowed ourselves to be victim as a nation to overwhelming gun violence. And while it's important to stand in line and give our blood, we need to also give our voice and give our hands and our feet to do the things that you require of us to bring this violence to an end. Because it doesn't have to be like this and your kingdom, your kingdom, God, does not have gun violence within it. Turn our swords into plowshares, God. Allow us to work to bring heaven a little closer to earth. God, this week as we go about our lives, help us to walk by the sick and the lame who religion has overlooked and help us to see them, God, to name them, 
to offer healing in your name in whatever way we can provide, in whatever ways you have equipped and empowered us uniquely, in the ways that you have called us uniquely. God, let us find joy in breaking the rules for your name and healing on the Sabbath, on calling the sick to rise up, offering them the helping hand that they need. God, help us not only to worship and to learn about you, but to engage with your love for our neighbor, our community, and our world. All of this we pray in the name of your holy and precious and resurrected son. We say, amen.